Welcome to the Be Perfectly Healthy podcast, an integrative health podcast by Center for New Medicine. We created the Be Perfectly Healthy podcast as an extension of our mission to educate and empower individuals along their health journey. This integrative health podcast will bring you in-depth expert interviews on a plethora of health topics. Tune in bi-weekly for interviews on how to create a non-toxic lifestyle, integrative approaches to treating complex health concerns like diabetes, Lyme's, Hashimoto's, Crohn's, adrenal fatigue, mental, emotional, and spiritual health, cancer prevention, early cancer detection, integrative cancer treatments, and so much more. Through the Be Perfectly Healthy podcast, we hope to provide cutting-edge, science-based information you can use to create a happier and healthier life for you and your loved ones. Well, Dr. Sembi, welcome back to the Be Perfectly Healthy podcast. Thank you very much. And today we're talking about autoimmune disease. And as we were discussing before the recording, this is a very, very broad topic. I mean, there's some, there's more than 20 different diseases that yes, could fall, way more than that. fall mm-hmm. under this category. That's so right. we're not going to necessarily dive into all of those, mm-hmm. but we are going to paint sort of an overarching picture of what's happening with autoimmune disease. Mm-hmm. So I want to start off with the basics because this is a word that's kind of thrown around a lot. Mm -hmm. But can you share for us, what does that even mean, Mm -hmm. autoimmune disease, just as a broad term? Sure. So you're right that autoimmunity is a very, very broad umbrella under which many diseases roll up. And you've heard of rheumatoid arthritis, multiple sclerosis, Hashimoto's, which is very common, Graves' disease, another thyroid um, issue, type 1 diabetes, lupus. Uh, So there's many, many big um, diseases that roll up under autoimmunity or autoimmune disease. And what the one thing that they all have in common is what we call um, loss of immunological tolerance. Basically, it is the loss of the ability to differentiate between self and non-self. So the body's immune system is unable to distinguish between what is the body's own tissue and what is something foreign. Mm-hmm. So the, the self of the body's own tissues and organs and glands are attacked as a mean of protecting the body, thinking that this is a foreign invader. But that happens because there is a loss of the ability to distinguish between what is self and what is non-self. Mm-hmm. And that is something that's common to all the autoimmune diseases. So, and we're going to dive into this a little bit more, how mm-hmm. we get there. Mm-hmm. But I do, can you just list out, you already listed a few, but mm-hmm. some of the other mm-hmm. types of autoimmune diseases? Yeah. So, um, the ones that are most common are rheumatoid arthritis, lupus, celiac disease, Sjogren's, uh, multiple sclerosis, polymyalgia rheumatica, ankylosing spondylitis, type 1 diabetes, various kinds of vasculitis, temporal arteritis. So these are just a few, like the top few that we um, hear about. Mm -hmm. But they can be, by some counts, there's about 80 autoimmune diseases and there may even be more now the last I checked was like you know some of them are really uh, small and obscure and then they find that it's some sort of an autoimmune process undergoing Mm. so um, yeah so there's many many 
uh, of these mm -hmm. conditions. And is it purely genetic or are there instances is it genetic at all <laughs> or is it completely lifestyle diet? Right. Um, so there is in some of these there is a strong familial component. Um, in some of them you can say it's genetic like for instance in celiac disease. If your parents have celiac disease you should definitely get checked out for that whether you have or not. In others there's sort of like a familial pattern like um, for instance, like we see in things like atopic um, illnesses, like eczema, um, like allergies, um, th these things run in families. So there's a familial pattern, but it's not always, not all are genetic. So uh, just a few, I would say, like celiac, are um, there is a genetic pattern of inheritance. Mm -hmm. So th it remains a big mystery, and there's a lot of research being done as to what are the genetic components that are transmitted generationally versus those that are epigenetic that um, come in through diet and lifestyle mm -hmm. and all these other things. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Would you say for those who maybe there's not a genetic component going on, there is an element of we can potentially reverse this? Definitely. Definitely. Um, and even in the ones that have a genetic component, there are things that we can do to manage um, once we know what is the um, pattern, what's causing the, uh, you know, the symptoms and the condition to manifest, we can manage. But even in the ones that are not genetic, we can definitely um, treat them and manage them well enough. Now, it all depends on when, what stage uh, the patient is at when the diagnosis occurs. Mm. If it's really early, um, then you can really, um, the prognosis is really good. Like within a few months to a year or so, you can reverse some of those um, lab tests and the early symptoms hmm. and then manage it. You know, you just have to monitor mm -hmm. over a long term. And if it's been there for a while, then it's kind of like a medium prognosis. You have to work harder and it might take longer to get to a state where we can call things in remission. And of course, if somebody's been suffering for a long time, then there's a lot of confounding factors. And then we have to kind of really um, go into a detective discovery mode to see what all could be causing and treat something sequentially and some at the same time to get the best results. Mm -hmm. yeah. One of the things that I find so interesting about autoimmune is essentially it's the same thing happening in the body as you said in the beginning the immune system is no longer able to differentiate between self and enemy right but there's so many different forms of this and mm -hmm. so what's interesting to me is how for one person autoimmune might come up as celiac for another person it might come up as rheumatoid arthritis for another person it might come up as Hashimoto's and so is that do you think where genetics come in for some people or is it does it have to do with yeah but I, I understand exactly what you're saying is that like if the process is more or less the same in terms of autoimmunity if the, uh, the loss of um, the ability to distinguish between self and non-self how does it manifest differently in different people is mm -hmm. that what you're asking yeah so um 
so the answer I think is um, I don't think we know for sure exactly why that happens but I think that we can just put it down to just individual variability and susceptibilities like we all have the same number of bones and same muscles and same organs but we are all different mm-hmm. you know someone uh, tends to suffer from headaches the other person uh, uh, tends to suffer from uh, PMS syndrome somebody else has um, you know insomnia so while the causes of those could be the same it manifests differently in different people mm-hmm. um, do we know why it manifests differently in different people I don't think we have a very good answer to that mm-hmm. um, but I will tell you this like for instance um, I'm sure you know that autoimmunity happens more in women mm-hmm. than in men like by a factor of like nine or ten something like that um, and it is uh, postulated that hormones have a lot to do with that uh, so the female hormones um, act a certain way and the male doesn't have that and so or has that in much uh, smaller quantities so that kind of impacts how the immune system is run but uh, just an example when um, postpartum a lot of women will develop Hashimoto's Hmm. And that doesn't have to be a long-term diagnosis. It can be managed and reversed and put into remission. Um, and it's not so challenging if it's addressed the right way. But, but so there are some autoimmune conditions that happen at certain times more predictably than others. Also, Hashimoto's tends to be a very common um, condition in women anyway. Uh, but then other things like multiple sclerosis, let's say, or rheumatoid arthritis, um, it's interesting to see why one person has one over the other. Um, my thought is the mental emotional uh, sphere might have something to do with it. Just the genetic variability, the epigenetic variability from person to person probably has something to do with it. But I don't think we know exactly why that happens. Hmm. Yeah. yeah, it's interesting and it's just a thought that came up. Yeah. So it's fun to explore it mm-hmm. even just a little bit. Yeah. So I do want to ask now about some of the For those of us who are having autoimmune issues, it's not related to genetics. Mm -hmm. What are some of those contributing factors Mm -hmm. that can deteriorate the system to the point that it is now not able to differentiate self from enemy? Yeah, so that is is the best question to address in this space. And uh, the reason being because uh, we can do something about all of those factors. And mm-hmm. one of the most common things that we see that leads to, that's a potential cause for the manifestation of one of these autoimmune diseases is chronic infections and a history of infections. Um, for instance, um, the human herpes virus, you know, um, and of course there is HSV-1 and HSV-2, uh, you know, herpes simplex 1 and 2 that a lot of people have, but also the EBV, Epstein-Barr virus, is also a human herpes virus. The CMV, cytomegalovirus, is also a human herpes virus. So this is a very common and insidious cause of many different kinds of chronic conditions, including autoimmune and even many forms of cancer. So one of the th- that's one of the things that um, becomes the etiology. Um, and then um, other infections can be uh, different kinds of uh, pneumonia, like bacteria, clim- uh, chlamydia, mycoplasma pneumonia, those are common, uh, strep or candida, these things can lead to chronic infections. Um, and then these things cause a dysbiosis in your gut. You know, there's there, and that can lead to malabsorption of food and vitamins and nutrients. And then 
um, different kinds of um, antibodies are produced and that can be increased, increasing certain kinds of antibodies. And then it just leads to an imbalanced overall um, immune response. So that's just one. That's just the chronic viruses. Mm. Okay. Um, and then the another one is a hormonal imbalance and which is very common. It can be your thyroid hormone is imbalanced, your adrenal is imbalanced, either very high cortisol or not enough cortisol. Um, there can be uh, uh, an imbalance in the male and female um, hormones. So that can be um, uh, a factor. Then there's nutritional issues or um, genomic issues like you may have some genetic susceptibility because you have some sort of a mutation or a variation that makes you more susceptible or you are not um, in your intake of essential fatty acids and omegas is inadequate or your diet isn't good or um, you're eating inflammatory processed foods um, then there's various kinds of allergies that can cause these issues or toxicities like chemicals and heavy metals um, so these are just some of them, mm -hmm. but they can all lead to different kinds of autoimmune illnesses. I'm going to take a guess and say that for most people, it's compounding. It's the accumulation of many of these different factors that is leading to this essentially overload that the body can no longer handle. Mm, that is correct. I mean, when we do labs, we can find out um, for most patients that one thing is more... Um, more causative than others just because of what the titers are you know if the if the heavy metals are really high and the viral load isn't that high then we can tell that it's probably coming from the heavy metal toxicity and mm -hmm. we should address that first mm -hmm. um, but if we see that the heavy metals are there um, but the virals are uh, loads are much higher then we start there mm -hmm. so but generally you are correct that it is multifactorial mm -hmm. and you use that to create the roadmap right because for many of us we can't address every single facet of what could be going wrong at the same time. And, and we shouldn't. We shouldn't because okay. um, very often people think that there are toxins in the body and we should just start a detox. But the problem is if your gut cannot handle the detox, it makes things worse. Mm. So what we really have to do is figure out um, an order in which we are going to address. And that is the job of uh, the practitioner. And they work with you to figure out what should be your action plan. So you work on... Um, on fixing the gut first, fixing the gut lining, fixing your malabsorption issues first, fixing your hormonal imbalances, and then only going on to detox so mm. that the body is now able to detox in a way that is um, helpful to mm -hmm. you. Yeah. yeah, you have to sort of strengthen the body first That's right. before diving into that. Mm -hmm. That's a really important thing, especially because now there's who knows what, a thousand detox pills you can take off the shelves right. and mm -hmm. start taking. Mm -hmm. So in terms of identifying an autoimmune disease, what kind of tests are available? Mm -hmm. So um, there are many different tests. Um, one of the generic ones is just to look for the ANA, anti-nuclear antibodies, um, you know, and also depending on what the patient's um, manifestation is, like what are their symptoms? You know, if they have some sort of joint pain, we would look for probably the ANA, but also rheumatoid factor RF, and also anti-CCP, anti-citrullinated um, antibodies, to um, diagnose rheumatoid arthritis. Uh, for Sjogren's, it's different. Um, 
kind of antibodies. So it's different uh, depending on what are the symptoms, what are we suspecting, mm. and going from there. Um, but if a person doesn't have uh, specific symptoms yet, which leads us to believe that, okay, it might be XYZ syndrome, and so we should test for these specific antibodies, we can just do a basic ANA test with a reflex. Like if the ANA comes back positive, then it can reflex into the different subtypes of ANA to tell us where it could be coming from. Mm. So, um, but uh, we don't generally do test for specific antibodies uh, if somebody comes in without specific symptomatology mm -hmm. because that's kind of like a fishing expedition and um, they can be f mm, false positives. So we just want to make sure we take it one step at a time. Don't overload the patient and don't do too much testing when it's not warranted. Mm. But we start off with just the basic test to see where things are. Check for your CRP, your inflammation levels, um, and uh, your, uh, you know, just the basic test to give us uh, a sense of where your overall health is um, uh, and compare it with what how you feel overall mm -hmm. and compare it with what you're eating how your sleep is what your stress is what your detox pathways look like so so we start off with a simple and gentle basic approach so i'm curious when would you recommend that someone requests from their doctor a test like this i think uh, one of the one of the things that everybody should do including us is just have just find a really good practitioner that you feel you have a really good chemistry with and just make sure you're getting your annual um, exams and just make sure that you are aware of what's happening in your body and how you feel many times when I ask patients what is your energy level or how do you feel after you um, eat let's say gluten or dairy uh, it's surprising that many people are not in touch with how they feel after you know they um, take certain foods or after certain kinds of stress like you know so it's really important one to have a really good relationship with your practitioner and two to pay attention to what your body is telling you uh, pay attention to uh, you know, if you've been feeling run down and there hasn't been anything uh, looked into, I always tell patients, look at um, the basic things that we look at are diet, exercise, sleep and stress. You know, diet, exercise, sleep and stress. In terms of diet, look at are you eating healthy or are you eating on the go and you're eating processed foods? You're not eating organic. So some of the issues might be there. Are you exercising uh, a basic amount at least? Are you sitting way too much? Uh, what is your stress like? Can you verbalize what your stress level is on a scale of 1 to 10, 10 being the max? Uh, where is your stress? Okay, And where is that coming from? And sleep. What is the quality of your sleep? Do you wake up well rested or not? If there's issues in any of these, you should bring it up with your practitioner. And then they will help you dive deeper into where the potential issues might be coming from. Mm. And then it's really important to follow that advice and see <laughs> how you feel, you know. Um, People's lives are so busy that even when patients come and see a practitioner and get the advice from them, just following through on that is not easy because many times it requires a change in habit, a change in doing what you're doing, and that's not easy. The hardest thing that I find people to do is really changing their food habits mm -hmm. and um, establishing a good regimen of taking the right kind of supplements. You know, just coming at it with the right frame of mind. Mm -hmm. And that's super important in taking care of your health um, in the long run.
mm-hmm. you know because otherwise patients are frustrated doctors are frustrated patients are not getting better they feel the doctors aren't listening to them doctors feel the patients aren't listening to them so it just becomes a um you know it's a never ending cycle of like who to blame yeah you know yeah. so it's really important find the right practitioner pay attention to what your body's telling you and see a doctor when there's the slightest uh, hint of like something not being right and follow the advice mm-hmm. and then go back for a follow up and say i did all the things you told me to do and this is better and this is not better mm-hmm. so that the doctor has feedback like oh okay because patients also have to understand that medicine is not an exact science doctors have to do trial and error and see what will help you mm-hmm. so your a patient's um compliance with the protocol suggested by the doctor is very important to rule things in and out to say okay this works and this doesn't work just because a doctor pr- suggested something to you and it doesn't work doesn't mean that you go to a different doctor next mm-hmm. because that doctor will probably have to do the same thing the only thing you're telling them is this doctor tried something that didn't work so that person will try something else but your original doctor will do the same thing and they already have all your history yeah so 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 find a practitioner that you feel you are well aligned with and 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 make a team with them mm-hmm. and work with them over the long term uh making a team and 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 go that way and then if your symptoms are getting worse then the doctor will do more detailed tests okay mm-hmm. you know and then if your symptoms are getting worse then the doctor has more information based on what you're telling them and then they will go into the second level of testing maybe they'll do genetic testing to see what your susceptibilities are mm-hmm. you know maybe they'll do different kinds of blood urine saliva different kinds of testing to see where is the problem coming from mm-hmm. so um doctors have a, a a big list of tests that they can go through but they will decide that based on what you are telling them that okay what is the right time to do the different kinds of tests yeah i think in general we need to have a little more patience as patients no pun intended when it comes to healing our health issues you know sometimes you might have a patient come in who's got who already has something like rheumatoid arthritis and unfortunately as you said earlier by the time you're at that point this issue has been brewing for many many years and yes. so there's a lot to unravel yes and i think for a variety of reasons the pharmaceuticals being one of them we've really adapted into this quick fix band-aid approach and unfortunately that's what many patients are looking for so it totally goes both ways as a it, patient you need to find a practitioner who's willing to be a detective who's willing to mm-hmm. use more integrative approach look at the full body but then you also need to show up yeah, in such a I way I couldn't have said it better it's really true um our whole medical pharmaceutical industrial complex is set up for a quick fix you know and as long as your symptom goes away and you could carry on working 40 50 hours a week and doing the commute and taking care of your family it's good enough but then you realize after some time that the side effects are building up and they are now causing debilitating symptoms and and uh, it's it's a really unfortunate situation that we find ourselves in this country and in most western countries in fact actually that um we are so conditioned to be looking for a quick fix mm-hmm. that to do um the long healing journey it's difficult mm-hmm. it's difficult for doctors uh, and it's difficult for patients because you know um yeah it's just you know i couldn't have said it any better like you know 
healing, especially if somebody has an, um, a condition like rheumatoid arthritis and they've had it for a few years. Um, so, so see, there is a there is a time for pharmaceuticals, mm-hmm. of course, mm-hmm. um, and some of the drugs that are out there, uh, which are called disease modifying agents, which are often used in conditions like rheumatoid arthritis. The reason being, if you use them early, um, the 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 argument is that the your joints may be preserved and may not get as um, deformed. Uh, but then uh, they just take you down a certain path and uh, and then of course the side effects will build up so that's why it's really important to work with somebody who who has the knowledge of what are the causative factors for things like rheumatoid arthritis Mm -hmm. you know and how to fix it Mm -hmm. you know Um, even uh, naturopathic integrative uh, practitioners will know that there is a time to use antibiotics and there is a proper place to use them in the treatment of something like let's say rheumatoid arthritis because um, there are there is enough information uh, out there which says that there are some bugs that are that call they that make you more prone to rheumatoid arthritis and for that something like doxycycline or something else might be helpful but you have to know at what point to put that into the protocol and for how long mm-hmm. and what to combine that with. Mm-hmm. So there is a long series of uh, treatments that can be done. Um, so yes, both patients and practitioners have to exercise uh, patients. And I think what will help both sides is to kind of set up a roadmap and things to look out for. And I am a big proponent of using numbers. Mm-hmm. You know, I always ask patients, rate your symptoms on a scale of one to 10, 10 being the best or the worst, because Otherwise, um, patients don't know, you know, even though they're getting better, they don't realize that they're getting better Mm -hmm. sometimes, you know, Mm -hmm. like, and then I'll say, okay, when you came three months ago, your pain was an eight on 10. Today, you're telling me it's a five or six on 10, but you're telling me there's no improvement. And then I'll be like, oh, yeah, you're right. As compared to three months ago, I am better. You know, so so there needs to be some sort of objectives slash subjective, you know, because it is still subjective, even though it's a number because it's coming from the patient. But I think um, uh, generally I'm able to trust the scale that the patients give. Like, you know, a five for the same patient is better than an eight for the same patient. Mm -hmm. You know, the scale doesn't change over time. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, so so it's really important to kind of have these um, areas, these touch points where patients can see that they are in fact getting better, even though their improvement is slower. Mm-hmm. And then we are able to maybe cut back on their other medications that are giving them um, symptoms and that there is hope and that they should continue with this plan. So um, something like this would be very helpful. Yeah. yeah. And you kind of led me right into the next question, which is, what does a conventional treatment of autoimmune look like versus a more integrative approach? And I know this is broad because, of course, each version of it mm-hmm. will have difference and more specifics. Mm-hmm. But can you just give us kind of a broad overview? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So in the conventional world, um, 
for something like celiac disease, let's say, you know, it's clear that you have to avoid gluten. So the conventional doctor will tell you, yes, you have to avoid gluten forever and ever. Um, but then in other things like, uh, let's say, again, coming back to the common ones, rheumatoid arthritis or lupus or, or multiple sclerosis, um, the focus really is on symptom control and quality of life. Mm -hmm. The doctor will tell you that there is not much we can do, there isn't a cure, but I can help you live a comfortable life if you take this drug. Um, and uh, so this quality of life is a very interesting phrase because yes, your main symptoms of the disease will more or less be controlled, but then there will be um, a new disease created, which is all the side effects, you know, and that's what, what we call an iatrogenic disease, a disease that is caused by taking medications. So, um, so that's generally the approach in the conventional medicine is like, okay, uh, we, there's this drug, and if this doesn't work, there's another drug, and if that doesn't work, then there's a different uh, option, or then we can start combining drugs, we can do that. In the integrative world, uh, or in the naturopathic world, what we do is, as I mentioned, you were looking at all the different causes, and then we are treating them one by one. For instance, if you have uh, a food allergy, or you have an issue in the GI system in your gut, um, most often people have a leaky gut, which is leading mm -hmm. to some sort of autoimmunity. If you have a leaky gut, you have a leaky brain. Oh, wow. <laughs> That's so, so good. Okay. So if you have a leaky gut, you have a leaky brain. That means your blood-brain barrier isn't intact, and you may have some neuroinflammation. Okay. And that can lead to MS. Mm. You know, so uh, there are these uh, autoimmune neurological conditions, neuromuscular conditions that uh, we need to be very, very cognizant of. So it's super important to be able to... Um, understand where this leakiness is coming from and to fix it. So we will work on that, which will fix your leaky gut and the leaky brain. Uh, we'll fix the, um, the issues with your immune dysregulation. You know, if there's candida, we fix that. If there is parasites, we fix that. If there's different viruses, we fix that. Um, if there's heavy metals, we'll chelate that. If you have sensitivity to different chemicals, we kind of fix that and see, okay, where is it coming from and how can we um, fix that? So all those things are, um, you know, and of course, as I said earlier, the detox will only come in once we've fixed some of the underlying issues. Mm -hmm. So um, again, you can see it's a stepwise approach, multifactorial, and then a lot of things will go into that, not just fixing your diet to see what you should and should not be eating, but what kind of supplementation should you be doing? Should that supplementation be oral or through IVs? Um, and then what kind of detox? Should that be an IV detox or should it should that be oral? And how to manage those symptoms, what to expect? Um, all those things are part of uh, the treatment plan. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Yeah, it's just fantastic. And the neat thing about it is at the very, very least, you're gonna start feeling better because as you clear up these underlying infections, the leaky gut, the chemical toxicity, let's just say for whatever reason, the autoimmune doesn't go away, but there's a very, very high chance that you're going to be feeling much, much better yeah. regardless. Mm -hmm. It's true. Um, once the work is begun, um, you, 
as as we start to treat the viral infections, as we start to treat um, the different parasites and candida and all that, patients often say they have better energy, they have better sleep, uh, their symptoms are better um, until we go into detox. And of course, then some of the symptoms may come back because, you know, the body is trying to detox and they may be uh, flu, they may be some kind of mild Herxheimer reactions or not so mild. So depending on how it is. Uh, so it is a continuum. You know, so yeah, and and there may be times when you uh, feel better, but there may also be times when you feel uh, there may be a slight aggravation before you get better again. So it can be. Um, I never say that it's a straight line. You know, healing is never a straight line. It's uh, there are troughs and valleys, peaks and valleys, so ups and downs. Um, but the trend is upward. Mm-hmm. You know, the trend, the general trend is to improvement. So that is. Um, that is what we're working towards. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Dr. Sembi, thank you so much. I know this was such a broad topic to try and dissect, but I think we did lay a good foundation that we can just build upon in future episodes. Great. Cool.